I'm Dr. Brent Schollinger, along with my colleague, Dr. Abby Strauss. We are talking, of course, about the opioid epidemic with a specific focus today on where older Americans fit into the picture. Joining us in the discussion is Dr. Lori Ann Post, PhD. She's the Bueller Professor for Aging, Director of the Bueller Center for Health Policy and Economics. She's Professor of Emergency Medicine, and that's all at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University. So Dr. Post's research was published recently in the JAMA Network Open. It's created quite a stir, including a headline in Time magazine, Older Americans are the ignored victims of the opioid epidemic. That was the headline. Dr. Lori Post, what's going on here? We're tracking opioid overdose deaths from 1999 until 2020. And we see over that time period that there's almost a 2,000% increase in older adults who died from an opioid. That was our study's findings, and this is what caused all the buzz. 1,886% increase, unbelievable amount. Is that an absolute increase or a percentage rate increase? How do those figures pan out? Just the absolute numbers of deaths and also rates. It doesn't matter how you look at it. If you look at it through a rate or you look at just number of deaths, it's a humongous problem. It's very significant. And it's something that's really increased over the last 20 years, 21 years. Do you have any sense as to more details about the demographics? Were they more urban, suburban, country? Is there any sense that that's a variable in these deaths? There's been a lot of research out there that's like place opioid overdose deaths in rural areas. And definitely there's been an escalation of cases in rural areas, but at the same time, urban areas still have high rates and urban areas have also had an escalation of cases over the years as well too. And so it goes like sometimes the rural areas will escalate more quickly than the rural areas, but they're both just going up, 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 up. In terms of whether it's an urban versus a rural problem, it's both an urban and a rural problem. They're both escalating. In terms of demographics, one of the interesting findings was that right now, one of the fastest escalating groups of people are older adults, and we would have never thought about looking at older adults. It's disturbing, and it's something that we need to think about for prevention and for mitigation efforts. How do we define older American? We look at it by all ages. For this particular study, we looked at those people who are aged 55 to 65, 65 to 75, and older than 75. So 55 to 65 is higher, but 65 and older, that also has escalated over the last 21 years as well. Then that raises the question, since this is making headlines now, why hasn't this been addressed before? Why hasn't it been addressed in the media? Why hasn't it been addressed in academia? Here's what I think, you know, I've worked a lot on older adult issues and that older adults are very invisible. So we don't talk to older adults about like, are you the victim of domestic violence? So doctors don't usually screen older adults for, do you feel safe at home? We don't screen older adults a lot of times for depression. Same thing with people who use opioids. So nobody, but nobody wants to be dependent on an opioid. It happens for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's recreational use, or it could be a lot of times if you're older, you're more likely to be prescribed opioids from multiple doctors. We also know that metabolism changes over time. It could be for a whole bunch of these different reasons why one becomes dependent on them. Older adults are not being screened like younger adults are. 
it's an important thing. And I think that older adults should be screened if they're going in, into the emergency department by their doctor there, by their primary care provider, by anybody that's treating them. The same way we would screen younger women for domestic violence or are you safe? Do we know where they're getting the narcotics? Are these prescription drugs or by chance they're getting from the streets or prescription medicine that wasn't prescribed to them, but getting it from somebody else? Do we have any origin of where they're getting the, uh, the narcotics? They're coming from all those places that you just said. What happens is a lot of people became addicted to opioids because doctors were prescribing them. First of all, doctors thought you should be treating pain. And then, so basically you could have a person who has multiple health or comorbidities that are being prescribed opioids from several different doctors. And that information might not become available to the doctor and they're prescribing them, not knowing that they're over-prescribing. So that was one way that people became addicted to opioids. Another one is that when doctors' awareness was raised about over-prescribing opioids, then doctors started cutting off their patients. So then once you're addicted, you need to keep your source of drugs. So then a lot of people started using illicit forms. And then what's so pronounced right now, the availability of fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid. It's really cheap. It's easy to get, it's easy to smuggle, and it comes through the mail. The mail system is like the number one way it gets into America. People are able to get opioids, and sometimes also people get drugs not knowing that opioids are even in them. In the older population, would you say the majority have been introduced to the opioids starting with a prescription? Here's the thing. These are older adults, right? So they're starting off with doctors prescribing for them. Deaton talked about opioids and the, the crisis that we have going on. And he said that these are deaths of despair. People who are socially isolated, people who are sad, people who have lost a spouse, a partner, a child are going to be more likely to self-sedate. And that's just one way people treat. They're sad people. Also, older males and older African-American males are more likely to become victims of opioid misuse and deaths. And a lot of that is about not having treatment for trauma, being a victim of crime, living bad life outcomes where you're poor or you can't afford things or you can't afford health care makes people more likely to self-sedate. These are deaths of despair. One of the things that has always been of interest to psychiatry is that there are hidden epidemics. And this is a hidden epidemic in many ways, but it doesn't match our concept of our grandparents. We don't think of them as exactly. being in this lifestyle. If you're going to be addicted to drugs, you have to be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, but not 70s and 80s. That's that, exactly, that makes no sense. Yeah. Are people accepting that? We over and over try to introduce that these issues go across the, the span of life. Is that something that in these days people are having a difficult time accepting? My understanding is people just don't know about it. I mean, where it's happening, we know it's happening everywhere across America. You've nailed it exactly. Is we don't expect it. But I think that we're not even to people are rejecting it. They're just hearing it for the first time. Probably people who work in substance misuse or rehabs or whatever, I'm sure they're not surprised. General public, it's a surprising fact. It's surprising to me. We always think of we have this cohort effect where older adults are not going to come forward and say, I have a problem or I need help. If you find yourself dependent on an opioid and you don't know what to do, you might be embarrassed. You might not know that there's help out there for you. And it could be also in your age group, your friends or your colleagues, you just tough it out and get over these things. How much of that has to do with clinicians who would look at older patients and when they see decline? in the physiologic or mental function, and they say, oh, that's just normal. We don't have to look any further. 
again, I think you're right on spot there. I'm really happy to report where I work at. There's this awareness in our department of geriatrics and primary care providers actually do screen for opioid misuse. I think right now it's a question of we just need to educate the public, educate clinicians about this is a problem. It's a growing problem. It's happening. It's increasing exponentially. It's not linear growth. It's exponential growth. We need to treat it as such. We need to help them and we need to show compassion. One of the things that we suffer from here in Florida, we're in Palm Beach County, is that part of our county has wonderful medical services. You go inland 50 miles, 60 miles, there's nothing or there's very, very little and there are no resources. And a lot of these people, they live quietly across the street. You have the resources. Is there a sense in the general medical community outside of the academic community that you live in that this is something that is approachable? Do they have the resources to intervene, to treat, or do they just say, I I can't handle it. There's things here. I don't know how to, to get the resources. The difference between the beauty of being in an academic center, your thoughts, because that's, that's a huge issue here. Of course it is. And so here's the thing is like in a place like Florida, where you have a disproportionate number of your population, they're older adults and you have limited resources. Not all older adults have money or are have good health insurance. In those places, it's very difficult. And you're right. I'm in an academic setting. It's very different here. I think the most important thing right now is about raising awareness that this is a problem, raising awareness for clinicians and also raising awareness for patients who find themselves, how did I get here? How is it that I'm dependent on opioids and that they can get help? Is there any sense the the use of Suboxone is given to the older folks? I, you know, I know, you know, I work in academic communities and stuff. So I know that places they do prescribing right out of the emergency department when they run across patients that have opioid use disorder. I don't think that that's typical or normal. We reach out. It's not your fault, but it's lethal. It's a deadly disease. And if you don't get help, you can die from it. In your paper, there was reference to, I believe, to the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommending that all adults be screened for alcohol and drug use. Why is this lacking in the general medical community? Again, it was like you said before, it's like we think of, I think about my grandma and my grandpa going into a doctor. I'm sure nobody said, hey, is this an issue for you or is this a problem for you? Let me also throw this out there without not necessarily a lot of evidence. To be dependent upon opioids, that it would be difficult to live for decades and decades and decades. Like maybe some people can survive with alcohol, but I think that opioids are so volatile. And then of course, synthetic fentanyl makes it even more volatile. I think a lot of this stuff maybe happened later on in people's lives and they don't know what to do. I'll give you an example. My mother had a close friend who had lost her husband. She had been prescribed all kinds of these drugs. My mom kept bringing it up. She had these pills in her pocket all the time. And then it was time for her to move to a long-term care setting. They took away her drugs and she was forced to detox and it didn't go really well. Until that time, she was doing everything she could to find more drugs. And this is a woman who was very wealthy educated. She had great health care, but nobody was picking up on the problem that she was addicted to opioids. No one thought to ask. Nobody thought to ask. Yeah. The other thing too, is also to be aware of what the symptoms are too, because sometimes if you're going to ask a person, they're not going to, I'm taking lots of pills. Why is this especially dangerous for the older group? When you get older, your body metabolizes differently. 
When you leave the hospital, people write you for a couple of weeks or three weeks or whatever. I don't think people used to pay attention to it. Now that I know a lot more about opioid use disorders is that way too many pills for too long. Fault was to overprescribe these for people. A lot of the older folks are in and out of hospitals for all types of surgery Mm -hmm. and they have pain. And we've spoken to other doctors who are involved in protocols to help reduce this. This is a huge topic. It's just a huge topic. Is there any sense about how many of the people got into trouble with the pain medicines because of surgery as opposed to other reasons? Do you know if there's any data? There are data. We're looking at two sources, the state unintentional overdose deaths. So every state has a different program where they track unintentional overdose deaths. And then we also have the National Violent Death Reporting System, which tracks all intentional deaths or homicides and intentional deaths. So it could be suicide. We have the toxicology reports for these deaths, and we know the source of the drugs. This is just our first study that just found like, oh my gosh, this is like increasing dramatically. It's a good first study. It's the numbers. It's a bit astonishing. It's almost non-believable. It but is. it's real. It totally is. Like domestic violence with older adults. We think about domestic violence as a problem of, the, of young people or young children. Or, so people don't think to ask older adults when a lot of older women are victims of domestic violence. And it could also be lost a first spouse, married a second time, and then the status quo changes. Surgeries, higher exposure, and drugs are so much more powerful too. In your data, You showed some rather disturbing numbers in looking particularly at older black men, huge disparities. Mm -hmm. Is it because maybe previously we weren't looking at this population? Perhaps there's some inherent racism in the research community? We know that if you are a person of color, if you're African-American, if you're a man, you're less likely to be treated. People have stereotypes about you. So older adults, maybe older African-American men, they have lots of trauma, more likely to be victims of violence, more likely to have a family member be a victim of violence, less likely to have health care or access to good health care, more likely to be poor. All those are reasons why people become dependent on opioids. And so it could be just people that are feeling despair, self-sedating become hooked on opioids. There's nothing per se about African-Americans that would make them more likely to become addicted, except that we live in a very racial, social determinants of health. We know that if you're African-American, you're less likely to live as long as white people. We know that you're more likely to be victims of violence. You're more likely to die younger. You're more likely to have your illnesses diagnosed like cancer third stage versus earlier if you're white for a whole host of reasons. What are you going to study next? You said this was the first in the Yeah, this is the of- first study. We have access to every single case where we can look at police reports, family reports, medical examiner, toxicology reports. But our next step is to do some data mining where we would go in and look at those reports and see if we can find out what's driving this because we don't actually know what's really driving it. We have studies that show in alcohol arena that yeah. older people tend to do fairly well, that they they tend to respond rather well. Do you think we'll be able to extrapolate that type of response for the opioid situation? Of course, I think that if we have if we provide resources, compassion, understanding it's a horrible disease and a horrible disorder but it can be treated. You need medical care and usually you need you know, medication-assisted treatment. So again, moving forward, what would you say is the most important step to try to make a difference here? Number one, raise awareness of clinicians. So just because it's grandma, grandpa, and you identify them as like cute little old, like my parents, screen them for any kind of substance misuse. 
clinicians need to know that. And then also that even raising awareness that dumping lots of opioids on patients isn't necessarily the best option because you just become more sensitized to pain. Are you optimistic that as we uncover data such as this, that we will be able to make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. First thing is, is raising awareness and then having change within the the medical community. The other thing too, is reaching patients out there that find themselves dependent on opioids and that it's not your fault. There's help out there for you. Don't give up. There's hotlines that you can call. There are places that you can go if you're on, on Medicare, Medicaid, either or. If you don't have health insurance, there are options out there. But we need more treatment. I, I will say that America is desperate for more treatment. And you talked about like some of the rural communities in Florida. It's definitely true. In those places, the rural communities where we saw super high death rates among certain populations, there were no treatment programs there. We need to have treatment facilities. Here's the thing is that it's such a difficult disorder to treat and without healthcare, trauma-informed care, and without medication-assisted treatment, it's really difficult to be. We need to ramp that up and we need to take care of our older adults. I think that a mark of any society is how you treat your old folks. How do we treat them? Treat them with care and aggressively treat substance misuse disorders. Do you think that the political communities and the insurance companies and their communities have heard what you're saying? You've asked so many questions there. Here's the problem is that right now, I think that there's pharmaceutical companies who made a lot of money from writing a lot of opioid prescriptions. As a person who does research in the area, I see a lot of pharmaceutical companies asking for data from researchers. That's a scary thing, being an academic, having a pharmaceutical company coming after you are trying to look at your data. The larger question is, how is our society with all the components political, insurance, economic, clinical, religious, looking at your data, are they sitting back and saying, we needed to hear this, this is good, but are they doing anything about it? This is what I worry about. Don't blame the victim. Don't blame them. Don't judge them. And I think that's, that's going to be a shift because we judge people who misuse substances. People are less judgmental about alcohol misuse, but using opioids, people are way more judgmental on it. You said don't blame the victims, and I concur with that. But there is also a sense of don't exploit the victims. An industry grew of treatment. Many of them were, shall we say, less than what they should be. Yes, this industry made a lot of money and it killed a lot of people. We don't call it a pandemic or an epidemic like we do COVID because it's been going on so long. And we just go from outbreak to outbreak to outbreak. That's why we call it a public health crisis as opposed to an epidemic. Yet there's a study that came out just this week uh, in The Lancet that suggests over the next 10 years, unless we do something dramatic, the overdose death rate is actually going to double. I usually am not surprised, but oh my God, I'm so surprised and so disheartened. Between 2019 and 2020, of course, we had the COVID outbreak and people were all driven home and we just got the data for the year 2020. And that's a 36% increase from 2019. That's unbelievable. The first months of 2021, we don't have the full year in yet. It's just frightening how much it's spreading. These are lives of despair. These are people who don't feel good or people who have become dependent on opioids who have to do whatever they have to do to get them. They're miserable and it's a lethal disease and disorder. So it's like, if they don't get treated, we're going to start seeing those rates double. I'm not surprised about that. 
I was shocked when I saw the 36% increase between 2019 and 2020, especially after 2018, we saw the first time in 20 years, a slight decline, just a few hundred people. I thought, oh my God, it's so great. We're plateauing there. Maybe something's going to happen, but it wasn't. And it came back with a vengeance. It increased 36%. So, so here's another just interesting perspective for philosophically speaking. You referenced the pharmaceutical industry and all yeah. the things that they have done. There's been a number of documentaries out there. And when you watch some of these programs, it makes it sound like, okay, they did bad things. They're going to pay this money. And now the opioid crisis is solved. No, not solved. The pharmaceutical companies, by and large, are not being held accountable. I think that what the change is, is now we've raised awareness with clinicians and overprescribing, but we're seeing this massive increase in people dying from opioids. We need to increase treatment programs. Everybody should have access to treatment if they need it. Seems like we've stereotyped, unfortunately, the yeah. abuser, the misuser, and the stereotype yeah. does not include the elderly folks. They don't. And, and again, I was going back to my a friend of my mom who died in the nursing home too. She was a, she was a wealthy, elegant, wonderful woman who was, she became dependent on opioids because so many doctors were prescribing them to her. And then her whole life was about getting those pills again. And you just don't think of somebody who's in their eighties doing that. This happened very late in her life. And then I think she didn't know what to do. It's probably not something that that older adults are dealing with over a long period of time. Remember in the 90s, it was surprising to find out that people could live, could be misusing heroin and could survive for quite a while on that one. Fentanyl now is so much more potent than heroin. Challenging. We still have to get back to really understanding the core drive to using these medications for other than the very legitimate pain control. Absolutely. We're not there yet. This has been fascinating. I'm looking forward to follow up studies and more statistics and putting this issue on the table again and again and again and again. Dr. Lori M. Post, thank you so much for joining us in this important discussion. And thank you for having me and for letting me speak about this. I appreciate it.